This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. All right, welcome to another episode of Reclaiming Families. We're excited about this episode, but before we get started, if you haven't followed us yet on Instagram or Facebook, yo, check us out there, follow us, and tell your friends about us. Let's get the uh, podcast out there so other people can hear it. There's a lot of great content on here, and uh, it is super beneficial for your marriage. And like and review our podcast yeah. so that uh, the algorithms or however... Um, the it just goes out better. Yeah, if we don't the more likes, how, the more reviews, it goes out. So that's exactly right. All right. Well, today we have a special treat for you. We have our pastor Luke Thomas here, our pastor at Legacy Church, and Luke has been a part of church plants now for about twenty-four years um, out in Lubbock, Texas. We had another great guest from Lubbock, Texas, a few weeks ago, and so uh, Luke was there as well, and then he moved to Tampa as a church planter, and now he is here with us in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he's had a bunch of opportunities to officiate lots of weddings, do premarital counseling, and he's walked through uh, the trenches with a lot of married couples, and so we are excited to have Luke Thomas on the show with us today. Yeah, and uh, what a good topic. We're talking about marriage um, kind of what it is and um, the big picture of, you know, getting divorced and remarried after divorce and, and a lot of hard questions that are, you know, good questions and uh, maybe not talked about too much. So, yeah, yeah we're excited today. And so it's going to be tough on you, Luke, but uh, um, glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So yeah. hope I can be helpful for you. <laughs> Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, your marriage, kids. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm married to Paula. We just celebrated 22 years the other day. We got married on Juneteenth. Back before that was a federal holiday, and back before I even, I didn't even know what Juneteenth was. <laughs> that was just the only day that we could get the reception hall. So um, we just celebrated 22 years, and I have a 19-year-old son who's in college. I have a 17-year-old daughter who's about to be a senior, and I've got a, another girl that's about to be 12. So those are our three kids. And uh, yeah, like you said, I get to lead a church. I have a dream job and uh, get to be a pastor at Legacy Church. We've been here for almost 10 years, about to have our 10th anniversary as a yeah. church. Um, so yeah, that's just a, a shotgun tour of who, who we are. Cool. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit, uh, just give us a glimpse into your marriage, some of the joys and the difficulties that you've experienced. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, because a lot of the joys come from difficulties. I don't mm-hmm. know that they're always exclusive of each other, right? Yeah. Um, I think they can commingle a lot of times, but um, I think my wife would agree that we didn't come out of the blocks very well. Um, we got married in a church that did not do pre-marital, premarital counseling. Um, and we had only been Christians for right around a year. So we didn't know very much about anything. Um, didn't even know how to be disciples, I guess. We were still kind of growing. Um, 
probably still on our first Bible and mm-hmm. <laughs> some somebody had given us in high school that we never read before and yeah. trying to figure this thing out called Christianity. And then we got married. So um, that was difficult. That made the first year or two really difficult. That was a struggle for both of us. And we, we didn't have any gospel comprehension back then. Um, when we were married, the gospel was good news if you were very far from Christ, but we didn't know how to be sustained by the gospel. Mm -hmm. Um, so that puts you at a pretty, that puts you on your heels in marriage, um, especially if you're a young couple. So that, that was, that was, that was hard for us. And, And we also, because we hadn't been Christians for very long and didn't have a lot of, um, discipleship in our lives, we kind of had some bad expectations, um, that we carried with us into marriage. And so a lot of our expectations were unmet. Um, I had a certain idea of what a wife would be. She had a certain idea of what a husband should be. And we both blew it and never met any, any expectations. Um, so we had some killer fights <laughs> in the early years. Um, so although we did not have a lot of premarital counseling, we did have a lot of counseling, you know, as we, as we walked through those first few years, but we had, some other difficulties. My youngest, you probably noticed when I gave the ages, we had a pretty long span of distance between my two daughters. Mm. And that's just because we couldn't get pregnant. Yeah. Um, we tried for years. And that was brutal. I know probably some of your listeners are either going through that or have gone through that. And that's a, that's a special kind of suffering. That's a unique suffering. Um, yeah. When you're still in childbearing years, yet cannot bear children. And you've tried everything and you don't know what to do. And then you start kind of talking about adoption, not because adoption was a conviction that you carried into the marriage, but because you simply can't have kids anymore. And, um, you know, that was a unique challenge for us in a marriage where we were still just trying to figure out how to be a couple. Yeah. Um, I think probably another struggle that we noticed early on was when our kids got to be a little bit older um, Paula deciding to lay down her business, um, so that she could homeschool the kids. Yeah. That was something that she really, really wanted to do. Um, but she had a thriving business. It did very well and had a lot of upward trajectory. Um, and she was really good at it. Um, as an interior decorator and designer, she had a, a waiting list and she just, she put it down. And although she wanted to do that, there was a little, creative piece of her that kind of died um and so that was hard for her and it was hard for me as a husband to kind of walk her through that and to really to be honest to even appreciate the struggle she was going through yeah um and then just you know the other struggle she's a pastor's wife and that is that is not easy (laughs) that's also a unique kind of struggle for her um so i mean those are some struggles but i mean the joys are just as many we've we've been able to plant a few churches together and start a few campus ministries together i get to do ministry with my best friend um and we are still pretty aggressive and still dreaming and still thinking forward for some of the things that god is calling us to do real excited about that so we've built a great family together we have this on the other side of this wall is kind of a, a living area and um there are picture collages that my wife puts together uh, and she sends these pictures off to a company. I couldn't tell you the name of it, but then they send back this giant canvas with all those pictures collaged on there. And we do one for every season of our family. 
Um, and so when you when you follow it through, it, it almost tells a, a story of who we are as the Thomas family. And that wall is almost packed full of pictures. And so sometimes I'm down here walking around or working and I just look at the wall and realize how sweet and kind God has been to my family. Cause That's it's awesome. just a lot of, it looks like a lot of fun, yeah. you know, in those pictures. That's cool. So yeah, that's a little bit of some of the struggles and the joys, you know? So yeah, yeah. let me, uh, let me ask you a few questions now. And this might be, you know, it's, it's pretty tough, but be about marriage. So when especially you, in the beginning, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So when you came into marriage, was divorce ever an option in marriage? Cause you're saying how difficult it was in the beginning. You know, yes, honestly, it was. Now we we knew never to use the D word. Um, right. We were, we were don't don't ever even say the word. It's not even an option. You know, it's kind of the whole burn the bridges behind you mentality. Um, years one and two were really hard, um, and then for some reason, year eight was really hard. Um, and I've heard this in other couples too. I don't think there's anything magical about the number eight or anything I'm, but, but but maybe it's just the kids are of a certain age maybe it's the midlife crisis in somebody's life I, I don't know but usually right under the 10th year you start to see a little bit of a, a a plateau I guess is the best word I could come up and at that point we weren't using the word divorce but things were such a strain that I think both of us were starting to think about I guess this is just the way it's going to be. Like maybe this is just how stale marriage is going to get. And then maybe when the kids are out of the house, we'll, we'll figure out what the next chapter of our lives looks like. So it was, we're going to stay together for the sake of the kids. Mm. Um, and we're going to provide this cohesive environment for the kids as much as possible. But when the kids are gone, maybe we'll, we'll do something else. And we weren't really saying that to each other, but I think we were both thinking it. Um, like I said, it was a difficult season and we did not have the, the beating heart of the gospel story in our lives. Mm-hmm. We just lacked hope at that point. Um, so things radically shifted afterward, but, but yeah, one years, one through two, we were pretty, um, our fights weren't healthy at all, but we, we refused to use the word. It was just sheer discipline and willpower. We were going to get through this thing. Yeah. By year eight, I think we were just tired, tired of fighting and just were resolved to do something different when the kids got old enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. So in those seasons, the year one, two and eight, and I'm sure just other difficulties throughout, how did you make it through those to where you are now? Well, <clears throat> you know, years one through two, you even, even as a young person, we were young you know that the first two years are supposed to be kind of brutal, yeah. the best of times and worst of times. Yeah. So you kind of expect it somewhat. <laughs> Year eight, like I said, that was a different season. Um, we had a little bit more salt and knew what it was like to be married and we're starting to lack hope. Um, but it was pretty short after that, that the gospel um, really arrested us and ruined us to the point where I love Jesus more than my wife mm. and she loved Jesus more than her husband. Um, and I, the things that I needed that I was trying to get from my wife, which was breaking my marriage, mm. I was satisfied in Christ giving these things to me, identity, um, 
I guess, a sense of, of belonging, sense of significance. I needed, I was breaking my marriage by, by demanding that my wife give me these things. You make me feel worthy. You make me feel significant. You make me feel powerful and respected and you supply me. I was, and she was, she was doing the same thing. Yeah. Once we both got to a place where we were fascinated with Christ, we no longer drained each other for those things. And it just, it just, our marriage just sprawled in health. And I'm really thankful for that. I, I think had that not happened, we, there's, there's no promise we'd be married right now. Yeah. Yeah. And what you just said, we've experienced that in our own marriage, you know, and I think it was in one of your sermons towards the beginning of our marriage. And it wasn't a sermon about marriage, but you said something along the lines of you cannot selflessly love if you are demanding love. Yeah, and that's so, right. That's right. Um, that was really powerful for us because it was the same thing, you know, it's like I wanted him to love me in the way that um, I wanted to be loved. And it was like I was mm-hmm. demanding it and then kind of wanting to withhold love when he wouldn't give it. And it was just this, it was a, a cycle. And so yeah. it really does take being satisfied by the Lord in order yeah. to be satisfied in marriage because God is the one who sustains us, not a spouse. Yeah, that's right. And I think also that was right around the same season where our theology was shifting, radically shifting. Um, And we went from a place of um, we were in control of history to Mm -hmm. God is sovereignly in control. And then what it does is it it repositions your scope of, okay, I'm married to this woman and she's married to me. And God is brilliant in how he put it together. Yeah. So God is kind and he's thoughtful and he's creative and he's wise. And he thought that this was a good idea. Yeah. Um, and so God's sovereignty and his providence um, behind us in our history helped us trust the Lord in the fact that we are together. Um, and that all of, all of that was kind of happening at the same time. It was all gelling at the same time. Yeah. And you know, like I said, we're, we're very, very, very different couple now because of it. Yeah. Praise the Lord. That's good. So yeah, yeah, we want to get into marriage kind of, so marriage in the Bible is called a covenant, right? And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so what does that mean? What's the significance of, of marriage? Is it, you know, is it, and, you know, I guess really like, what is a covenant? Is it just an agreement between two people? We're going to get together. Are there stipulations to it? If I just don't like you, can I get a divorce? Um, what? Yeah. yeah. Can you help? Yeah, us it depends how nerdy you want to get. To be honest with you, Randy, I love I mean, to be a entire, little nerdy about it. Yeah, yeah I do too. <laughs> you know, there are entire college courses. You know, you could go to seminary on on covenantal theology and what a covenant is and what it is not, and you could find nerds disagreeing with other nerds on the finer points of what a covenant is, but is it an agreement? Yes, but it's much more than just a simple agreement. It's more than a handshake agreement, right? Right. Um, there's a, there's a well-known theologian. I think his name is Owen Robertson. Um, some just say Palmer Robertson. I think, I think Palmer's his middle name. Um, he says that it's a bond in blood that's sovereignly administered. That's what a covenant is, a bond in blood that's sovereignly administered. So what he did is he tried to take all of what covenantal theology is and squeeze it into as few words as possible. Um, But it's an agreement that we make with each other before God, or it's an agreement that we make with God. Um, But it's much more than just 
a simple agreement. Uh, you will have terms. You will have a sign. Covenants have signs. Um, so like the rainbow is a sign of a covenant um, that God made that he would not flood the earth. You have the animals being split in two when God was making covenants with, with Abraham. You have a, uh, well, the cross is a covenant um, that was, uh, well, the cross is a sign. We'll say it's a sign of the covenant that God has made for us through Jesus. Um, and then you've got, you know, marriage, which is a covenant. Mm. And then the signs we use for that are rings, right? Um, so all covenants have a sign, and then all covenants have a, a set of terms. Um, so you can have one that is um, a contractual back and forth, where we both have terms to our covenant. Um, we'll call that uh, one based on law. Now, I'm speaking super broad. So if nerds were listening to me right now, they'd be like, well, not exactly. And I get it. There is a lot, there is a lot I'm skipping over. But we have ones that are that are contractual, um, which would be like, if you do this, I will do that. So when you read the Old Testament, you'll see blessings and curses given depending on the amount of obedience the people of God displayed before God. Um, but then you've got ones, covenants that are given that are one-sided. Um, and that would be like what God has done for um, King David, how we made a covenant with him that there would always be somebody from the Davidic bloodline on the throne you have the one with abraham um you have the one that he has with us through jesus that is one-sided which means that we cannot break that covenant it is sealed and secured by god himself who is the covenant giver and the covenant keeper so you know when we when we kind of just take a step back from all of that and we look at the covenants that we make with each other um, we have things like church covenants um, we have uh, marriage covenants, mm -hmm. and those are ones between people that can be broken. Um, people can break a church covenant um, if they were a member to begin with. People can break a marriage covenant, um, and that you know that is uh, that's a little harder to navigate, yeah. depending on what the offense is. But it's you know it's a real thing, yeah, especially with marriage. Yeah. So yeah. It, it sounds like marriage is this is supposed to be a picture of that one-sided covenant, but because a spouse is not God, it can't be one-sided because you have two sinners. So we have in marriage this mm -hmm. dim, imperfect picture of the gospel in so many ways. Um, so it's a strong covenant, but it's not nearly as strong as our relationship with Jesus, which is you know, why we have to be satisfied by him and not a spouse. But when you think about that covenant breaking, a marriage covenant breaking, under what circumstances do you think that that can be broken uh, as far as what the yeah. Bible talks about? Yeah. Um, and this is where you'll find disagreement in small degrees between people. But I think the general body of Christ would agree that adultery would be one. Um, and we see that also in Matthew 5, I believe, um, and in 1 Corinthians 7, I believe. Um, adultery would be one. Abandonment from an unbelieving spouse would be a second. Um, I have seen many say, and I, I tend to agree with this view, that abuse, physical abuse, is a shape and form of abandonment. Um, and so that would be a third, I suppose you could put there. 
um, that that would break it. And I guess the obvious one is death. That would be an obvious one, right? Yeah. So, but we'll throw it in there just for the sake of throwing it in there. Um, but those would be things that would break a marriage covenant um, and mar a picture of the gospel as yeah. well. I mean, death notwithstanding. But you've got this, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about what marriage is, is it's a mutual submission to the other. So it's not just this picture of wives submitting to their husbands. It's more than that. It's not less than that, by the way. So wives do submit in the way that we submit our lives to Christ and the groom submits his life in such a way that we take the shape of Jesus submitting his life for his bride. So that you have this mutual submission to each other um, and a mutual commitment to each other. Now, like you said, because we're broken and because we are fallen, we will break these commitments and covenants and therefore mar and crack and scar the picture of God. Um, and so abandonment would do that. Adultery would do that. Um, abuse would do that. M many things could do that. But those are the three things the Bible lists. So let me ask you a tough question. So, you know, we say adultery and, you know, Jesus says, hey, I tell you, even if you look at a woman lustfully, yeah. you committed adultery. Mm -hmm. right? He just um, he just expands the Ten Commandments. Right. He's saying, hey, look, adultery is more than you think. And so. That's right. You know, how should, how should we think, like, if I looked at a woman lustfully that was not my wife, you know, should my wife say, hey, that's grounds for divorce. We're, we're done. You know, uh, right. how, I mean, how should people think about that? Yeah, and this is where, as a pastor, I've bumped into some, some icky situations because pornea, the word in the, in the Bible that we're given, that's a broader sense of sexual immorality, hmm. right? So it's like a, it's like a junk drawer. There's all kinds of, of sexual immorality that is inside of that that uh, that term. And so, you know, if a husband is or a wife were found out to be caught in an, an addiction to pornography, is that grounds for divorce or an emotional affair mm -hmm. with uh, another person outside of the marriage confines? Is that is that a sign for adultery? What I would say in those moments is it's, it's healthy to have the church and others involved in discerning whether it is or is not something that cracks a covenant in That's half. Um, we, we've been saying from the stage through our, our that Reclaiming Family series is that your, your family is church business. Yeah. And so what we do a lot of times, this is what we do a lot of times. What we do a lot of times, and and I've heard other people say this, I think Russell Moore hits this nail pretty hard as well, where we rush to a pastor or a priest to get married, right? That's what everybody does, even people that are far from Jesus. They're like, we're getting married, got to find a pastor. Does anyone know a pastor? I think your uncle's a pastor. You know, we do that. We all go to a pastor or a priest to get married, but then when we get divorced, we go to the courthouse. Mm, yeah. <laughs> go to the courthouse because we like our our autonomy. We like to be separate. You don't tell us when we can and cannot get a divorce. So, but, but the marriage is an item that is within church discipline. The marriage is something that the church ought to be having a voice in. Yeah. So when it comes to moments like um, emotional affairs or pornography, the leading question ought to be, and it's, this is why it's helpful to have other pastors or leaders um, in the church or just loved ones that you trust in the church help you with these questions. Uh, is this salvageable? Yeah. Is this really a deal breaker or is this something that we can see some repentance in something that we can see 
I don't know, some reconciliation? Is, is this something that we can see the glory of God peek through all of the madness and darkness and build something beautiful? Yeah. Um, and to be honest, I think a lot of marriages crack in half under the, the costume of sexual immorality. And I don't, I don't think it's necessary. Mm. Um, when we were in our younger years as a church, I remember one moment where a man had been caught by his bride um, with a porn addiction. Um, and when I say addiction, I don't mean one that would have required, you know, some heavy counseling, just probably your, which is probably the average guy, what the average guy is into today. And she said, that's it. I'm getting a divorce. We're divorcing right now. And in his, his mind, he was like, whoa, hold, hold the phone. You know, I mean, we could grow through this. I could get through this. She perceived that um, as the same equivalent, the same as if he had gone to a brothel or gone and developed a relationship with another woman. He failed to see, however, how weighty it was what he was doing. Yeah. So they both came marching to me with, I don't see what the big deal is versus her. I don't see why we're even married anymore. And trying to help them navigate whether this is reconcilable or if, whether this is the grounds of divorce. Now, the 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 good end of the story is is they're happily married now, big family, and they're they're they have a vibrant marriage. Um, but that was a close call. That was a close call. Lots of marriages are cracking, but they they really should not be cracking. It's yeah. just that um, I think you have a lot of stale marriages, unhappy marriages, and as soon as somebody you know, has an emotional connection with the secretary at work that did not turn physical, or as soon as one of the spouses looks at something online, they shouldn't be looking at, they just pull a lever of we're getting a divorce. The Bible says we can do it and no one can stop us. And I think that's unhealthy. Um, That's, I think, like I said, I think marriage is to be part of the discipline of the church and not something that's handled individualistically. Um, But I understand the difficulty that people have in carrying something like that to the church. Yeah. And I think it's just so important in that, that it just shows through, you know, the dating process, the engagement process and your entire marriage, our entire lives should be done in community with pastoral leadership, with people walking alongside of us. And I think that, you know, we cannot ever underemphasize the importance of doing life with others in community and, and having, you know, being a part of a local church, we, we learned, we have some yeah. listeners in like Canada. And so we don't know who all is listening to this, but don't we would say, we love know, them though. We, we yeah. they listen. But it's like, even for the people that we don't know that are listening to this, it's like, ah, oh, we want you to get involved with the local church, That's right. um, be in a covenant membership with the church so that you can have people speak into your lives um, when marriage gets difficult, when life gets difficult. And so, yeah, we cannot underemphasize yeah. that enough. And, no, yeah. emphasize that enough. And so, yeah, I think we don't, yeah, we don't do that well as a, as a kind of a community, the culture, as well as we could. Like, we'd love to see it done better, mm-hmm. like com- community done better. But also another thing too, like, I know that marriage is this picture of, um, the, of Christ and his church, right? It's a picture of, mm-hmm. uh, the redemption between Christ and his church. And so, um, in order, if my goal is to display Christ, then it would be to always, you know, forgive my spouse, right? Work mm-hmm. through those issues. And, and, uh, and so, you know, things that would crack 
we don't know what would crack our marriage, right? We don't. We're not that strong to be like, yeah, nothing will crack my marriage, right? I can't will it, right? My own self, but I can say, hey, listen, yeah, I kind of throw divorce out the window and say, you know, let's. I'm not going. We're not going to put any eyes on it. We're not going to say the word, and I think that's healthy and good. And uh, yeah, but I agree. But my my question is, is that if with a with a good theology of what marriage is and mm-hmm. a desire to love the Lord and to see the gospel flow into all areas of our lives, it's just tough for me to, to be like, yeah, this is a reason for divorce. But if that were the case, if the God, then you wouldn't be sinning in general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I, but I think I know what he's saying. I think I know what he's saying. I, I remember hearing a story told, gosh, many moons ago from Mark Driscoll. Um, and I don't know when he taught it. <clears throat> it had to have been 15 years ago. And I don't even know what series it was in. I just know it was him that taught it. He told a story about a man that he knew that found out that his wife was not faithful to him. And when he addressed her when she came home, I think this is how it goes. When they had it, it came out in the, in the open. When they discussed it, he storms out of the house. And she thought, that's it. He's going to divorce me. And rightfully so. You know, I was unfaithful. This is the end of the marriage. Look what I've done. And he comes back in shortly after with a white dress. And he dressed her in this white dress and said, this is how I see you. I see you as God sees me. And I'm going to love you unconditionally. And he, now I'm, I'm totally botching the story up. You know, I mean, I'm sure it was delivered so much better when I first heard it. But the picture I, I saw was, wow, I mean, so many guys, nine, 99 out of 100 probably would have thought, I can't go back to the same marriage. And this guy said, you know what? I'm going to love in the shape of Jesus, and I'm going to let her know how beautiful and how, how much of a treasure she is to me. And that, that left a mark on me when I heard that story. And, and I think I'm probably with Randy on that. I can't, I can't see a scenario where I leave my wife, even if I find out that she is unfaithful to me. And I know how crazy that sounds. I, I do. I know that because, I, because I'm not in that position. Um, but if something came to my, and this would never happen, but if something came to my knowledge where she um, flirted with another guy or was emotionally connected to another guy, I don't see myself leaving my wife on that. On that, I, I don't even though I would have the right to do it biblically. Now I'm not in that position, so it's unfair to say what I would and would not do, but yeah. that's, that's where I'm at right now. Cause it, it does seem like the question is about repentance. You know, how repentant mm-hmm. is the heart of the spouse is kind of what, yeah, it seems that's like right. uh, breaks it or doesn't break it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's right. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, let's change the topic a second. Are you ready to change the topic? Uh, well, I think we unpacked that decently. Okay. Well, this is kind of changing the topic on the same topic, but what are your thoughts on getting remarried after divorce as far Ooh, as yeah. the Bible and what God's Word says about that? Yeah, there it gets even messier, right? Because the Bible's pretty clear in, in Matthew 5 that if the divorce, if you leave your bride except for adultery, it says, and you marry somebody else, and you're committing them to adultery as well, right? You're committing adultery with a new person. Um, and that's because, the, I mean, understand, the covenant, the first covenant had weight in God's eyes, um, even if it's more weight than what we gave to it. 
God saw that first one is permanent. And so, I mean, I know people who have been remarried. Um, and then when I listen to their stories over why they were divorced their first time, you realize there was a lot of abuse, abandonment, um, adultery. Um, biblically, they had the right to leave and they did and they remarried um, and they have a vibrant marriage. I've seen cases where people have lost spouses to death and then obviously they've gotten, or not obviously, but they have gotten remarried mm -hmm. and they've had vibrant marriages. I think that there is, there is um, a lot of scrutiny that needs to be given to that. Um, but I do see a way for it. I see a road for it for sure. Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, I think what happens is a lot of people who've been remarried, even under good tenants for good reasons they walk around with a bit of a scarlet letter in church hmm. um they walk around thinking that they're judged in lesser thans because they've been remarried um and I, i'm sad for that i think the church could probably do a better job of caring for people who've been through divorces and uh, not making them feel like they're lepers um, but you know what do you do what do you do if you catch a couple and I have who had lousy reasons for divorcing their first spouse. And then now they're married to a second one and the spouse they left is also remarried. What do you do in that case? Do you get a second divorce and go back and remarry <laughs> right. the first? And I'd say, no, probably not. Right. You'll, do, you'll do even more damage. And I don't know how that fixes the picture. I think that just mars it even further. So, right. you know, that's an imperfect answer to a very good question. Yeah. I just think that there needs to be a road given to people um, who have been divorced under good, good, proper circumstances for divorce yeah. to remarry. And it, mm -hmm. it sounds like it just comes back to if you do everything within the church and within community, mm -hmm. then you, you know, you can you would yeah. not be getting divorced for things like quote irreconcilable differences. And then, you know, knowing who you're remarrying and what the reason for the divorce was and having other people speak into it is super important. Yeah. Cause I, I really, it's so fascinating that I know that as sinful human beings, we always just do what we, well, well, everybody you know, is doing what they want to do. Right. We're kind of doing what's right in our own eyes. And, and, uh, but it is such a rare thing to find somebody who has been married, let's say divorced for irreconcilable differences, and is now saying, hey, I will not get married again because the Bible tells me so. Tells me so right? I've been directed mm -hmm. by God's word that that was my marriage, that was the covenant, and uh, it has been broken, and my spouse has left me. And I'm not marrying again. It's just I've never found somebody like that. I don't know anybody like that ever. Yeah. I've so. met a couple. I've met a couple where, <clears throat> because let's remember, the abandonment is if an unbelieving spouse leaves you, then it says you are free to remarry. Um, I have seen it where you have had a Christian couple, or allegedly Christian couple, where the wife has left the man and divorced him. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to remarry because I'm holding out hope that my original marriage gets back together. So he doesn't date. He doesn't, he's 
doesn't have an app on his phone, checking other, you know, he is, he is waiting. He's in this waiting pattern and he's still wooing. He's still trying to court his, his divorced wife, I guess. He is still praying for her. He's still doing whatever it takes to, to recondition that marriage into something beautiful. I have seen that. That's cool. um, That's encouraging. Actually, I've seen that too. I know, I know one guy and it might be the same yeah. guy, maybe, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's rare though, right? Yeah. We could say it's rare. It's yeah, rare. but it's powerful. Yeah, like the picture of the. I, I felt like it. I felt like it was powerful and inspiring, and and but I'll also tell you, it was grueling to watch him wait for somebody who wasn't waiting for him. Yeah, right. Um, to love and to pine for and to pray for somebody that just doesn't even want to be in the same room with you. But as I saw that, how is that less a picture of the gospel um, than anything else, right? I mean, he was still depicting God's love for us when, when he comes for us, when we loved him not, when we're throwing rocks at him and he pursues us. I mean, we're still seeing a picture of the gospel and how this man who's been divorced is, is um, pining for and purposing his life to be remarried again. So... Yeah, I was inspired by that because it's not something you see very often. Yeah, right? it's, it shows how like powerful to me. It's powerful because it's the gospel through the pain. Like it doesn't, you know, it's the pain that makes it so powerful. Like his love is so enduring that it suffers things. Mm-hmm. It suffers, and so it's uh that is incredibly yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. So just a recap. So thoughts on like, okay, reasons to get remarried after divorce, you'd say, mm-hmm. um, abandonment, like my spouse just completely walked away from me. Um, if it's an unbelieving spouse. Yeah. Um, if it's an unbelieving spouse, then the Bible's pretty clear on it. If it's a believing spouse that leaves the Bible's a little fuzzier on it. Um, but but can I mean can we just appreciate for the moment the fact that it is a little bit fuzzy? Yeah. The fact that um, that there is discernment left to us in the church to navigate some of these things. I mean, the Bible doesn't have a list of ninety three reasons that you should be able to get divorced with ninety two exception clauses built into it. We don't see that. We see it broadly addressed, right? Um, but yeah, I think abandonment is a key one. And, and again, I think abuse is a form of abandonment as well, as well. So, and then adultery, throw yeah. adultery and be kind of like three, you know, there may be more, but you know, those three, you'd say pretty, pretty common. Those, well, I mean, when I say more, I, I wouldn't know what more would look like. Those would be the three I would stand on. If somebody said, if somebody said, Luke, listen, I want to leave my wife um, for a reason not stated in the Bible, I would need them to do a very good job of explaining what's going on because all I have that has been handed to us is abandonment and adultery or, or uh, infidelity. Uh, so that's, what's been handed. Now those, even within those, I think there needs to be heavy, heavy, heavy discernment. Like we already said, what is infidel? What does the infidelity look like in your eyes? Yeah. Right. Um, what does abandonment look like? Like he works a lot. That's not, a, that, that's not likely abandonment, right? That just might be a lousy marriage where he's not doing a great job, but is that abandonment? I don't know. And so that's why it takes discernment because you guys know as well as I do, when you're in the middle of a marital crisis, you don't have the wherewithal to make these kinds of calls. You're going to need somebody to step in and give, give some clarity and, 
and adjust the, the lens on the camera so you can see with some focus because we can't really see all that clearly to just yeah. conclude on our own um, that something is irrevocable. Yeah. And I think it's just so sweet to say again, like the picture of the gospel when somebody says, yes, I can, like, quote unquote, can divorce you, but I'm not going to uh, because of, because I've been forgiven much by Jesus, I will forgive. And that is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Yeah. I mean, just. Just dream for a moment what our kids and our kids' kids see when they see mom and dad who even biblically were giving an exit ramp from their marriage and decided not to take it because they love Jesus much and because they walk the same path that Christ walked. How do you think that informs their marriage going forward? Mm-hmm. I mean, I want my kids and my grandkids to hold a a gospel frame around their marriages. Um, and man, that is so countercultural to the way we see marriages handled now. Um, and if they don't have a powerful view of the strength and the sustainable, just a sustainable marriage inside the church, if they don't have a view of that, all they have is the world competing, which says marriage is disposable. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. You could just hitch up down the road. That's all they have left. We, we have to be the ones to show them. So that's why I like seeing couples that could have pulled the lever and gotten out of a, a marriage. And they would have been able to walk around the rest of their life saying, yeah, Bible said I could, so I did. Mm-hmm. And yet they chose not to. Yeah, it's powerful. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So wrapping up here, we have one more question we want to get from you before um, we hang up this call, but what would you say to a married couple that is struggling right now? So they're in that marriage crisis Ooh. that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. What are your words to them? Uh, I would start by saying that you're normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we always like to hear that, right? When we're in the throes of something, we always feel like we're the, the exception, not the rule, but you are the rule and that marriage goes through seasons yeah. like anything. And some years are better than others. Um, That's to be expected. I would also say, if you're in trouble, if you're a marriage that's in trouble, maybe a word towards using what we call fights or disagreements, not as something that we use to win over our spouse, but an opportunity to drive us both as spouses to the cross. Um, I think that when we think of fighting and arguing as a couple, I think we're all groomed to think that that's a dangerous and toxic place to be and that we should never disagree and never argue. Um, But I mean, you guys have heard me say multiple times that I think it's okay to fight as long as you fight to the glory of God. Yeah. That it's okay to disagree vehemently with your spouse. If you do so carrying a cross with you, Mm. Um, I think it reshapes, what altercations look like in disagreements. And I think if I could speak to couples that are in danger right now, it's just maybe to plan for your disagreements. We, we talked on this when we went through this series, yeah. that the location of whenever you fight, we'll just say fight in quotes, because it doesn't have to be the fighting that we grew up hearing and knowing how to do. Location is everything. There are dumb times 
to have a fight with your spouse. There are, there are dumb times. Then there are great times to, to unpack something that's all full of knots that you've been meaning to get around to doing. And there's, there's a good time to do it. Um, And so again, this is something that I've heard Russell Moore and others comment on using different words to give the same principle, which is using times of peace to unravel those difficult knots. Right. Um, so planning those arguments for things like date nights and retreats and times where you have secluded time unto each other, where you're not coming into it tense and tired, but you're coming into it rested and secure. I think you stand a better chance of working through some of those impossible equations. Um, I know me and and my bride, when we, um, go on retreats, that's when we purposely kind of discuss some of the things that have been bugging us and discuss some of the things where we feel unheard um, problems that we just don't see really changing. That's when we do that because we are secluded. It's just us. We don't feel threatened. We're not angry at each other. There's nothing to guard. Um, We are there to just chill out and be together and work through something that's very difficult. Uh, I see a greater fruit in handling disagreements that way, rather than at the end of the day, right before bed, when everyone's tired and, you know, tempers are hot and the wicks are short. That's a bad time. That's a, that's a not very fruitful time to have a big altercation. So, and I get why people don't want to do it this way. Because they want to save those retreats and those date nights for nothing but laughs. That's right. And yeah, I, think there's a, vacation. I think there's a time for it. Right. <laughs> You're ruining my vacation. I know, I know. And, and listen, I think there's a time for unscripted moments where you just laugh and play. I'm not saying repurpose every date night and time of margin with your spouse to work through a difficult issue. I, what I'm saying is, is there's nothing wrong with bumping into your spouse and knowing that there's a problem and saying, listen, we're going to talk about this. How about Tuesday night? Or can we deal with this, but like in 72 hours? Yeah. Or, hey, can we put this on the list of things that we were going to talk about this weekend when we take that long drive to wherever, USA? Can we do it then? Because then what you're doing is you're, you're putting a bookmark on it. You're saying this is valuable. It's valuable to both of us. We're not going to gloss over it and act like it's not a thing. It is a thing. But now we have time to side think it, pray about it, um, consider it. And now what we're carrying to each other when we do address it and readdress it is much deeper sense of calm and peace. It's been prayed through. We've asked the Holy Spirit to come in and help us in that moment. It's a totally different fight than saying, oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you something about yourself you didn't know. You know, it's when it just turns into slinging mud and trying not to get hit by the other person's mud, nothing is going to get fixed. Nothing is going to look beautiful by the end of that. But I just think playing your fights schedule your fights is what I would say to a couple that's in trouble. Right. All right. That's one of the things anyway. Yeah. yeah. There'd probably be a ton of stuff, but that'd be one of the leading ones. That's. I'd say, yeah, I'd say that it takes good leadership on the man's part, good leadership on the woman's part. Yeah. It takes maturity. And, uh, yeah. but I think good men, good women, they, uh, they can do that. Self-control. Yeah. Well, Luke, I think we're about out of time, but we're so thankful that you, came on and talked to us. I think that a lot yeah. of listeners are really going to enjoy a lot of the stuff that you said. So good. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Yeah. We'll see you next time for another episode of reclaiming families. 
Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.